And this is also going to be on the screen behind me, and um, it'll be on the back of your bulletin as well. If you have one of those bulletins, that those verses, chapter 18, verses 20 to 21, um, and some others we'll be referring to are there as well. So uh, please follow along as I read from Proverbs chapter 18. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we um, come to you again this morning asking you to speak. We come needy, we come empty, we come weak, and we want to hear from you. You are the God who gives life by his words, and so we ask that you would come and speak to us this morning by your word from this book that you have given us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. I love you. We'd like to offer you the job. I now pronounce you husband and wife. I'm proud of you. I'm pregnant. Chances are the most memorable moments in your life have been accompanied by words. They've been marked with words, whether good or bad. You're a naughty boy. We have to let you go. I'm I'm just not in love with you anymore. You will never amount to anything. Our lives are filled with words. One study suggests that we speak on average 16,000 words a day. And if my experience is typical, three-year-olds speak about five times that many words every day. Our lives are filled with words. Nearly everything we do, we do with words. Words are how we get our kids in the car in the morning. Words are how we get our coffee order just right. Words are how we talk down an angry client. Words are how we debrief our day with our friends, inviting them into what's going on in our lives. Our words are where we live. And that's probably why the book of Proverbs spends so much time giving us God's wisdom about our words. The book of Proverbs contains 90 verses about our words, more than almost anything else, more than wisdom about our marriage, more than wisdom about our work, more than wisdom about money. And so we, as a church, are going to spend four Sundays, beginning today, seeking God's wisdom for our words from the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is structured almost like anything else in the Bible. There's nothing else like it. So it starts off with nine poems, nine chapters of poems about wisdom, God's wisdom. And and wisdom isn't just kind of being smart or being shrewd. Wisdom is how to live rightly in God's world, how to relate rightly to God, how to relate rightly to the people around us. And so the book of Proverbs starts off with all these poems about how great wisdom is, how beautiful it is, how precious it is. And then it goes into almost 22 chapters of sayings, proverbs, aphorisms, little nuggets to think about, to apply to your life. And it jumps around almost at random from Proverbs about work, to Proverbs about marriage, to Proverbs about integrity, Proverbs about being a parent. It just jumps around. And so Ryan and I aren't going to preach straight through Proverbs as we normally would through a book, but we're going to go take kind of a a big um, panoramic view of what does the whole book of Proverbs say about certain topics. And so 
Um, This morning we're going to be talking about his words, our words. And there's actually a verse in the Bible that comes later on that nicely summarizes what the book of Proverbs teaches about our words. It's from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 29, and it says, this will be on the screen as well, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So we're going to be using this verse to kind of organize our sermons on words from Proverbs. In, in coming weeks, we're going to look at uh, what it means to speak words that are fit for the occasion, the right word at the right time. We'll be looking at what it means to speak that, in such a way that you give grace. We're going to be looking at what it means to hear. But this morning, we're going to consider that first part. We're going to consider the amazing potential of our words, that we can speak words that corrupt that decay, that cause death, or we can speak words that build up. And and the choice is ours about what words we speak. And one of the clearest places in the book of Proverbs we see that is in the verses we read earlier. Chapter 18, verses 20 to 21. So we're going to take a closer look at those Proverbs, and then we're going to kind of hop around, pulling in wisdom from other places as well. We're going to see in these verses the power of words, the fruit of words, And the source of words. So first, the power of words. Death or life to others. Look at that first part of verse 21 again. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So King Solomon, who wrote most of the Proverbs, tells us that the tongue, though it's just this little part of our body, has this massive power, this incredible impact, whether for good or or for evil. Words have incredible power for good, right? Words have roused nations to, to great acts of justice, to abolishing slavery, to defending helpless neighbors. Words have brought people back from the brink of despair. Every Sunday, all around the world, words proclaim Jesus to people that don't know him. They turn to him because they hear words. Words have incredible power for good, but they can also do incredible damage. Because God made our words to have such power when they're twisted to purposes not his, they can do incredible damage in people's lives. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. My wife Kim recently acquired a kitchen appliance that promises a food revolution in the Wendell household. It is a blender and a food processor, and if I understand correctly, it can also knead dough. It's called... The Ninja. Uh, With the Ninja, you can even take a single tumbler, stick it on the base, and make single-serving smoothies you can carry with you right into the car. Okay, so we got the Ninja. My parents brought it from America when they came to visit recently, and my dad opened it, and he offered to wash it for us as a way of, you know, getting it all ready so Kim could make her inaugural smoothie. And while he was washing it, he was treating it just like a normal blender, which the Ninja is not. And he cut himself on the blades. They're super, super sharp. And so the whole rest of the week he was saying, you guys have to be careful when you're washing the ninja. Those blades are sharper than they look. So the very thing that makes the ninja such an efficient kitchen machine, its sharp blades also makes it incredibly dangerous and something not to be taken lightly. And that our tongue is like that. Because it was made to be so powerful for good, it can become destructive and bad. We all have in our mouths the power to deal death with what we say. And sometimes that's literal death, right? We can, all, we can think of stories we've heard about people who were so bullied 
that they took their own lives. We can all think of times when hateful rhetoric has stirred people up to unspeakable violence. But there are other kinds of death our words can deal. Words can destroy relationships by destroying trust. Words can ruin reputations. It can end careers by spreading rumors, by slandering someone. Words can corrupt someone by inviting them into a, a pattern of life, a behavior that's not pleasing to God. We can, we can rope people into sin. Words can do such deep damage that even physical injury would be a relief by comparison. The Bible talks about how um, it's, it's easier to recover from illness than it is from a crushed spirit. And the book of Proverbs highlights several kinds of words that can bring about death. And we're going to look at various ones over the coming weeks. It talks about false witness, about lying. It talks about boasting and quarreling and flattery. But I want to highlight one kind of speech that brings death this morning because I think we often overlook it. It seems so innocuous. And that's gossip. Proverbs 16 verse 28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer, a gossip, separates close friends. Uh, Chapter 18 verse 8 says, The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Gossip is hard because it's kind of difficult to know how to nail it down. It's hard to know when you're gossiping. Is it every time you talk about someone else? I would say that gossip is when we share private information that reflects poorly on someone else with someone who has no business knowing that information. Okay, it's when you privately bring someone down in order to bring yourself up. Or another way to say it is it's talking about someone else's problem when you're neither part of the problem or part of the solution. There's no reason for you to be talking about it. So it's one thing to sort of ask someone's advice. Like, I'm in a hard situation with this other person. Can you help me know how to proceed here? How can I love them well? It's another thing to bring someone in who has no business because you kind of want to get them on your side. Hey, this person did this thing. Like, how much better am I than that, right? I did the right thing, right? How can you believe how terrible they are? That's when you start getting into the realm of gossip. And it's also gossip to listen and to do nothing, right? Gossip takes two parties. It takes someone to speak, and it takes someone to listen and not shut it down. And it's easy to think that gossip does no harm, right? Because it's quiet. It's private. It's, it's away from, what's, from the action. But Proverbs says that a whisperer separates close friends. Gossip destroys friendships. It destroys community. Gossip has destroyed churches, just torn them apart. And it's addictive. Solomon says that the words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. It's like tasty food. He says it, it goes down. Like we, we, worship, we gossip because we like it. We like to gossip. It tastes good. It goes down. We feel so good that we're not as bad as the person we're talking about. And the more we do it, the more we want. So if, if, if you're sharing negative information about others, behind their back, or if you're allowing someone to do so, you're participating in words that Solomon says bring death. Death is in the power of the tongue. It's not hard to say. Now, it takes some courage, especially if it's at work, but it's not hard to say, hey, listen, what you're saying to me doesn't pertain to me. I'm not interested in this. I don't need to hear it. It's not hard to say, I think you need to have this conversation with them not with me. I'm, I'm the wrong one to have this conversation with. It takes some courage, but that's a way to turn back the words that bring death. 
So our words can deal death, but our words can also give life. Words can sustain someone on the verge of hopelessness. Words can heal a relationship that's been torn. Words can communicate the good news about Jesus to someone who doesn't know it, and then who will believe what Jesus has done. And so one example of life-giving speech that's especially relevant to us is encouragement. Chapter 12, verse 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. A friend of mine recently observed to me, just as we were talking, he observed to me how many people around him live in fear. So many of us live in fear. We live in fear of losing our jobs. We live in fear of losing our health. We live in fear of losing our kids' hearts, that they're going to go off the rails. We live in fear of losing our investments when the stock market crashes. We have trouble sleeping at night. We lose our appetites. It's all we can think about. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, and it's all around us, but Proverbs says a good word makes him glad. We have the power to replace anxiety with gladness, to replace fear with joy by what we say. So we can encourage someone in a hard situation by reminding them of the strengths God has given them, that they're, they're up to whatever it is they're facing. And even better, we can encourage someone by reminding them that God is for them, that God is with them, that he's always for them. He's, he's behind them. He's, he's working for their good. Even better than that, best of all, we can remind them of the love of Christ, that he laid down his life to make us children of God. A good word can make them glad. We're surrounded by anxious people, and we have words that can give life to them. So our words are not neutral, right? It's easy to kind of overlook our words. We say so many of them, they feel like no big deal, but they're not neutral. Our words have the power to to move people towards the life that God has for them or move them away. Our words can move our spouse towards us or push our spouse away. Our, Our words can point our kids towards Jesus and trusting him or point them towards the world and living its way. Our words are never neutral. We can make people glad or crush their spirits. Every word we say brings life or death. So if that sobers you, it should. God wants us to be careful and to speak life. And Solomon gives us another reason to pay attention to what we say. So we saw the power of our words, and secondly, the fruit of our words. Consequences in our own lives. So it's not just others who are affected by what we say. If you look again at verse 21 of chapter 18, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So when he says those who love it, those who love the tongue, he's talking about talkers. He he doesn't just mean people who talk, but talkers. You know what I'm saying? Like people who well exceed their 16,000 word a day average. If you don't know if you're a talker, you should ask the person next to you after the service because they know whether you're a talker, right? My, my wife has visibility to my calendar, like all the appointments that I have um, for church, and she can tell by the calendar what time I'm going to be home afterwards because she knows, like, if it's a talker, plan an extra 30 minutes, right? Some of you are talkers. And, and Solomon says that those who love to talk, he doesn't say it's, it's necessarily always a bad thing, but he says those who love it, those who love to talk, will eat the fruit of their words. So the more you talk, the more consequences there will be, whether for good or for bad. What you say will come back to you, whether for good or for evil. It's the same thing he says in verse 20. 
From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. So when the Bible talks about fruit, it's talking about the natural outcome of something. When you, when you plant a certain kind of seed in the ground, you know what kind of plant is going to come back, right? What you give is what you get. It's the natural outcome. It, it connects with something else the Bible and the book of Proverbs talks about, which is sowing and reaping, right? We sow seed. We, when we speak and when we do things, when we, we act a certain way, we're casting seed, and it's going to bear a certain kind of fruit. We're going to reap what we've sown. And, and that's what... Solomon is saying, he's saying if you speak a certain way, if you, if you speak life, you're going to reap something good. If you speak death, you're going to reap something bad. It's not like karma. It doesn't mean like you do something good and something comes right back to you. We know that the world, like the way God governs the world, is he has a, a complicated plan and sometimes it seems like people do bad things and bad things and it never comes back. But Solomon says, in the end, it will. What you give is what you get. What you sow is what you reap with your words. And this is what we should expect, right? Because we live in God's world. This is God's world. God made it, and God rules it, and God is good. So we should expect that good will come back to those who choose good, and, the, and that evil will come back to those who choose evil. And, and we all want this, right? We want to believe. I mean, some of us have been incredibly hurt by things that people have said. Some of us have been incredibly wronged, and we want to believe that we live in a world where God will bring back what they've done, not, not, that we don't have to take vengeance, we don't have to exercise justice, that, that God will take care of it, that we live in a world where there's justice. That's what we want, but we also want to be the exception, right? We don't necessarily want to reap the consequences of everything that we've done. We'd like to be off the hook on that one, but God says, those who love it, those who speak, those who deal words will eat the fruit of what they've said. Double lives get discovered. Fraud gets found out. Quiet gossip over coffee makes its way back to the person you're talking about. It's the world we live in. We see this repeatedly in Proverbs. So Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, just as an example, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So I used to, when I used to work in customer service, I was on the phone a lot with angry people. I had this taped on my computer screen. A harsh word turns away wrath, but a quiet answer, a, a soft answer, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So the way we speak when confronted has an immediate consequence. It has immediate fruit. A soft word calms the situation. A harsh word stirs up more anger against us. Another example is Proverbs 19, verse 5. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. Lies get found out, right? The God who rules the world doesn't like secrets. We will eat the fruit of our words. But it goes the other way, too. Life-giving words bring life back to us. Honesty leads to trust. Confession leads to reconciliation. Encouraging words lead to joyful families. The question for you is, the question for me is, what are we sowing? What kinds of words are we dealing? I know you're not perfect, but what's your pattern? As you go through your day, is the general tone of your words grateful or is it complaining? At work, are your words more calculated to kind of raise your stock in the eyes of your superiors or are your words calculated to encourage and to raise those around you? 
at home, are your words to your kids more encouraging or more criticizing? Do you tend to affirm your spouse or quarrel and fight? And in your emails, on Facebook, on WhatsApp, the, the things that you think are sort of off limits for the rules about speech, are you, are you speaking words? Are you writing words that give life, that build up? Or are you gossiping? Are you mocking? Are you laughing at other people? So some of you might be aware, even as we're thinking about this, that lately you've been sowing poorly. The seed you've been sowing hasn't been life-giving seed. You, maybe you're already eating the fruit of your words in distance in your relationships, in trouble at home, trouble at church, trouble at work. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says, and this is such good news, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You can bring healing through your words. So if, if there's a relationship that you've put distance in, if there's someone you've hurt, the tongue of the wise brings healing. You could speak words that will heal what's happened. And it's not that hard, right? It's not many words. It's, I'm sorry. I love you. Will you forgive me? That might be your action step today. But if we only examine our words, we won't go deep enough. Many of us want to speak life. We want to improve in the things that we say. And we just keep falling short. We, we, just, we want to get better And we don't. We feel frustrated that we keep saying hurtful things to the people we care about the most. We need to see more than just the power of words, more than just the fruit of words. We need to take a look at the source of words. So finally, the source of words is the heart. Here we're going to sort of broaden our scope a little bit from chapter 18 to look at what the book of Proverbs as a whole says. What's true of the people who speak life? What's true of the people who build up? Chapter 10, verse 31 says, it's the mouth of the righteous that brings forth wisdom. It says in chapter 13, verse 14, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. Words that are good come from people that are good. It comes from people who are wise, people who are righteous, people who are living the way they should. If our words aren't good, it's because we're not good. And that's hard to think about, but that's what Proverbs says. Good words come from a good heart. And I think we can all acknowledge that we have said things that we regret. And we've all said things we're really glad that we said. And we like to think that the good things we said reflect who we actually are. When we think of who we are, we think of the good things we've said. And the bad things we've said, we think are just accidents. Right? And they are accidents, but they're not accidents in that we said what we didn't mean. They're accidents in that we accidentally said what we actually do mean when we were meaning not to. That's, that's, it, it all reflects our hearts. So several of my brothers from my community group know that I've been in a season recently where God has been dealing with me over angry words towards my children. Not, not all the time, fortunately, but, but at bedtime and in the middle of the night when they're awake. And not so much Asher, who's just one year old. He's not really in charge of his sleep schedule. But Joshua, who's three, when he gets out of bed, he gets out of bed because he has to go potty. He gets out of bed because he's hungry. He gets out of bed because he wants me to watch his airplane fly. Or he gets out of bed because he just doesn't want to sleep, right? He's out of bed all the time. And I can be incredibly curt with him. I can say, you have to go potty? All right, let's go potty. Go, go. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You know, just like 
It, I'm, I'm not staying in here. You just go on your own. Or like if he wants a snack, I'm like, fine, you can have a snack. Here are wheat thins. No, you can't have a graham cracker. You know, like this is, this is what you get, right? Or just like Joshua, go to sleep. I can, and the, the last thing I say to him before he goes to sleep is hurtful. It's, it's words that bring death. And I like to think that the real me is the me when my kids sleep through the night, they get up at 7 in the morning, they're happy, I've already had a shower, my coffee, I've read my Bible, I've checked the news, I'm ready for the day. And in that situation, I'm genuinely glad to see my kids. And I want to think that that's who I really am. And the anger at night, that's an accident, right? That's, that's just the circumstance. Who wouldn't be angry if their kid is out of bed over and over, they have to keep, have to keep pausing Netflix to go back to the room and they, forget the, they lose the thread of the show? But no, it's, it's all me. The good and the bad in my words is reflective of the good and the bad in my heart. And this is just what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He says, Out of the abundance of the heart, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the way a friend of mine illustrates that is he says, We should all, we should all think of ourselves as having buckets. We have buckets inside of us that are full of what we love and what we fear and who we are. And we carry these buckets around with us, and when we encounter something unexpected, uh, you know, a, a detour when you're already late, or um, a kid out of bed at 3 in the morning, you know, a storm at work when you're planning on taking your scooter home, and now you're frustrated and plans have changed. When these unexpected things happen, it bumps our bucket, right? Our buckets tip, and whatever's in our bucket spills out our mouth. So there's nothing that comes out of our mouth when we're angry or we're surprised or something happens to us that wasn't already in the bucket, right? It was already there. The circumstance didn't make us say what we said. We just said it because that's what tipped out. That's what spilled out of our bucket. So when I speak angrily to my children, it's not because they are being bad. It's because I am angry. I have anger in my heart towards them because they're, they're ruining my kid-free paradise that begins at 8 in the evening. And I want to punish them for it. So the reason why our words have such power is because our words reflect our hearts. Words are hurtful because they reveal how we really feel about other people. We don't, we don't speak death-dealing words simply because we're careless. We speak them because we're mean. We speak them because we're bitter. We speak them because we're ambitious and competitive. And that's why if we're going to have words that give life, if our words are going to change, we don't just need better strategies. We don't just need like tips and checklists. We need better hearts. We need to improve what's in here before we can improve what comes out here. So we need new hearts. Where can we get them? Where can we get a new heart? Where does the book of Proverbs point us? One of the recurring features of the book of Proverbs is that wisdom is depicted as a person calling out an invitation. So in in chapter 1, verse 20, it says, Wisdom calls aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. In chapter 9, verse 4, wisdom calls, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. So Proverbs says, if you're realizing 
that you're not wise. If you're realizing you're not living well, then it's not too late for you. It's not hopeless. Proverb that wisdom still calls to fools and says, if you know you can't do this on your own, come to me and live. Come to me and learn. Wisdom invites those who have sowed poorly, who have spoken death, to find a new start, to begin to learn wisdom. And wisdom isn't just start doing it better. Wisdom starts with a whole new relationship to God because Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The way to start living in God's world rightly is start relating rightly to God. So wisdom invites us to learn how to relate rightly to God and to be transformed. But even that doesn't feel like a full resolution of the tension, right? Because, because we've, we've done things we shouldn't have done. And what, what happens to those things? Do we still eat the fruit of those things? And how does wisdom make any difference in our lives? Wisdom is just a thing. How can wisdom really transform us? So in order to really be changed, to really receive new hearts, we need more than just to see wisdom. We need to see what wisdom was pointing ahead to. Because wisdom was preparing the way for something else. Wisdom was preparing the way for someone later. Later in the Bible, someone else calls out an invitation like wisdom does and says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of water. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So who's calling now? It's Jesus. Jesus is calling. This mysterious character of wisdom in the book of Proverbs is pointing ahead to this person to come, Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus calls us, he calls everyone who knows they don't have it together, everyone who thirsts, everyone who's tired, everyone who's hungry. Jesus calls them to come to him and to find what they need, to find the bread of life, to find living water, to find rest for their souls. Jesus can truly give us a new relationship to God. Jesus can truly change our hearts. So this is the answer to the question. This is where we can receive better hearts, a new heart, a heart of wisdom. Jesus can do this because Jesus made himself an exception to Proverbs 18.21 tells us that Those who love it will eat its fruit, that we we reap what we sow. We get the consequences of our words. But Jesus made himself an exception to that because Jesus alone, of everyone who's ever lived, only spoke life. He only spoke words that give life. He only spoke good words. And so Jesus deserved only good fruit, right? We, on the other hand, haven't spoken just life. We have spoken words that give death. We have been sarcastic and hurtful and bitter. We have gossiped. We have lied. And we deserve to reap what we've sown. We deserve the consequences. And, and more than just consequences here, Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. If we have spoken words that give death, we deserve to be condemned. So Jesus only deserves life, and we deserve condemnation. But on the cross, Jesus took the condemnation. He took the fruit of what we have said, and he offers us life. He ate the fruit 
of our careless words. He ate the fruit of our death-dealing words so we could have the fruit of his, so we could have his righteousness, so we could have his relationship to God, so we could be forgiven and justified. Though we don't deserve it, Jesus offers everyone who will come to him forgiveness, a new heart, and a fresh start. So there are lots of people who can give you better strategies for your words, good ideas for what to say, but only Jesus offers you a new source. Only Jesus makes our hearts clean that produces better and better words. So just imagine how different K-Man would be. Imagine how different our community would be if everyone who follows Jesus spoke only life, right? Imagine how different your workplace would be if everyone who followed Jesus refused to participate in gossip. They, just, they didn't talk about the boss behind his or her back. They didn't talk about what whoever did on the weekend. If they just shut it down and walked away, imagine how different it would be. Imagine how different our families would be if we resolved to only speak life to our children, only words that encourage, only words that build up, not words that tear down and discourage. Imagine, imagine what people would experience coming through the doors at the back of this theater if on Sunday mornings they found in here a crowd of people that spoke only to build others up, not to build themselves. If our words were not about us, but were concerned for those around us. Imagine how different we would be. Jesus can do that. Jesus can change our hearts. He can change this church. He can change this island. Jesus can do it. So as we come to a close this morning, what should we do? We all fall short in our words. We all speak words that corrupt, that that deal death. And we want to speak words that give life. We want to speak words that build up. So there are three things we can do. First, consider the words you will say, right? Within a minute of the end of the service, almost everybody here will be talking. We're going to go out from here and have lunch, and we're going to talk. We're going to go to work tomorrow, and we're going to talk. We're going to, we're going to be dispensing words for the next week. As you, each word you speak has the potential to build up the one who hears it, to give them life, or to pull them down. So think before you speak. Ask, why do I want to say this? Why does this seem so important? What am I intending this to accomplish? What in my heart is overflowing? And if there's a particular situation in which you regularly struggle, like I do at bedtime, we can pray before we go into it. Lord, let my words give life. So consider what you will say and speak life. Secondly, consider the words you have said. So have you recently, are you aware of a situation in which you've spoken death to someone? When you've been harsh with your children, you've been dishonest at work, You've shared something privately behind someone's back with someone who had no business knowing it. The next right step for you is to confess to the person you've wronged, to seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Consider what you have said and seek reconciliation. And finally, consider what your words reveal about your heart. What do your words say about you? Why do you you complain so much when your spouse asks you to help? Is it because you think you're entitled to an easy life and your spouse is intruding on it? Why are you so critical of your children? Is it because you demand perfection from them to make you look better? Why are you so defensive about your performance at work? Is it because you're looking to your job to prove your righteousness, to to justify you? In the moment when you're tempted to let loose words that bring death, consider what your words say about you 
and consider that only Jesus can change you. Jesus is what you need. So consider what your words reveal about your heart and look to Jesus for forgiveness and the new heart that only he can give. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, your word is so good, and yet it can be so hard to hear. And we don't, we don't like to think of ourselves as those who need forgiveness, as those who need newness, who need restoration, who need change. But we do, and our words prove it. And yet, Father, you have, you have given us everything we need in Christ. We don't need to just work harder. We need your son, Jesus, and you have given him freely. You did not withhold him. You sent him for our life. You sent him for our hearts. You sent, us, you sent him for our words. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us to turn to Jesus, that you would, that you would change our hearts and our hearts would change our words and that we would speak life into our families and into our workplaces and into our community in such a way that glory comes to Jesus. We want Jesus to be exalted in all that we say, and so, so help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.